So open your Bibles, please, to Jeremiah 29. Uh, that's where we're going to be uh, mostly. We're going to get there. We're going to be actually in a number of passages of Scripture today in the conclusion of our series on spiritual warfare, which is titled The Battle for Your Mind and Your Soul. Uh, again, I am so thankful uh, we've been doing this now. This is the last message, six weeks in total. And uh, yeah, we started it and it was like, okay, this is, this is going to be challenging. And I am pretty sure that there were some people uh, who are here today or were watching online. And if you remember from the very beginning, we spent two weeks talking about that guy, about the devil, right? And then, and then two weeks on the flesh. And, and now the last two weeks, last week and this week on the world, and so, yeah, that's been our, 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 our series title, but also we've been looking at it this way. From the book uh, Live No Lies, John Mark Cormer came up with, an, I think, an awesome outline that we've been following, uh, for the most part, as an outline anyway, in the way that we've looked at this series, and it'll be on screen for you. And he put it this way, and he starts with the devil, which is why it's usually the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? But we decided to go the other way, because after I read his book, I was like, no, that, that's awesome. <laughs> we need to find out who our enemy is, first and foremost. And then we need to deal with our disordered ideas. So he lays it out this way, as you'll see. Deceptive ideas, lies that are constantly being preached into our hearts, into our minds, and into everyone in this world, the devil, that play to, he knows us, our disordered desires. God gives us desires that are good, but because of sin, they become disordered. And that's the flesh. That are, and this is the part that really struck me, normalized in a sinful society. <laughs> so uh, it, all of our messages are online if you want to go and look at that. We spent a lot of time last week uh, in the world part one, and it was, it was titled Being Influenced by the World. And so we looked at all the ways, and we'll recap a little bit of that this morning, of how we're being influenced by the world, and it's constant, constant. Today, I hope, is a little bit more encouraging. <laughs> our title for today is Being an Influence in the world. That's our call. That's our call. That's a future, by the way, worship team leader right there, just to say it on the back. <laughs> Practicing his vocals. Okay, before we get started, let me pray one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, yeah, once again, Lord, thank you for this day. Ah, Father, I just thank you for the ability to be able to gather in this way, to be family together, <laughs> to uh, be a witness into this community right here in the street in downtown Squamish. And also, Lord, to just sit under your word and to hear from you, Holy Spirit, not me today. Lord, I, I, uh, I need your help today. I always do, but especially today. So, Lord, I pray that you would, you would take the words that you've given to me and you would make good use of them in people's hearts and minds. And I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So I, I hope by now in this series that you and I have all been able to appropriately uh, establish who our enemy is, right? We've established in the first five messages, in every message, who, in fact, we are at war with. We as Christians. Everyone in the world is at war with this dude, this being, but particularly Christians. And it's important for us to understand that and get that front of mind so that we can really go to battle, and I know we talked about this in the, in the first uh, uh, message. We're uh, Mennonite brethren by denominational uh, backgrounds, and that means we're pacifists, right? And uh, I like that idea about our denomination, but the reality is, no, Scripture's pretty clear. We're in a war, and we need to battle. We need to battle our enemy. 
And yet we know this, and this is really important. I want to stress this today as we're going to be looking at how we can be an influence in this world for good. And it's Paul's words in Ephesians 6. You, you know these words, but it's important for us to recap them. He said, we do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. Our battle's not with the people out there. Hopefully it's not even with each other. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Listen, in reality, and again, we we talked about this in the first week, only Christians would believe this, really. Like, there's a devil, right? Uh, The guy with the pitchfork? Really? No, only if you're born again by the Spirit of God are you going to go, no, 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 really. I actually now know that I understand the Holy Spirit. I feel the Spirit's presence, Jesus' presence, the Father's presence in my life and in my heart, but I know that that's there too. That's okay. It's not comfortable, but it's okay. So as we move to our conclusion in the series today and look at being an influence in this world, it is crucial to remember and understand that the men and women who are being held captive by the deceptions and lies of the devil, by the world system that... He is fully responsible for and is under his control are not the enemy. That's really important. I don't know how many years you've been in church, but I've been in church where, no, that perception or that understanding has been lost. So we don't want to be like that. No, they are the ones who are being held captive by this enemy. They don't even realize it. And so as I've been saying throughout this series and in our missional community group is, At the end of the day, how should we feel about people in the world? Compassion. (laughs) Complete compassion. They don't even realize how deceived they are by the enemy. So last week we discovered two things about the definition of the world in the big biblical sense and the many ways in which we are being influenced by the world. The definitions that I put up for you, read for you by some of the theologians and pastors and authors, right, last week, were pretty stark, weren't they? I mean, Eugene Peterson, I, I'm not going to requote him today, but remember that one? He called, he called the culture of the world a cancerous rot. Eugene Peterson, <laughs> one, one of the most pastoral, shepherdy, loving pastors, but he was being honest and true, and I appreciated that. But I want to just requote a couple for you today, just to get our minds back on that so that we can see forward. Jerry Brashears, who I'm going to mention at the end today, a bit of a benediction for you. He said this, the world is Satan's domain, pretty much full stop, where his authority and values reign, Hmm. though his deception makes that hard to realize. If you are of the world, then it just seems right. That's a pretty good definition. But I also want you to re-see John Mark Cormer's definition that he gave from Live No Lies. I like this one. It's a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated into the mainstream and eventually institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. And so I, I went back to his book this week in preparation for this message just to review that. And, and he explains what he means by these twin sins. And of course, from the twin sins, he's basically going back to the garden, which is where sin entered the world, right, with Adam and Eve. And, he, and he's, he's trying to point out to us what actually happened when the devil 
said to Adam and Eve or asked the rhetorical question, did God really say? How deceptive was that? It was sneaky deceptive. And so he says that that temptation had two parts. And I want to show these to you because it's, again, I think important for us to remember these things in our mind. Number one, the temptation was for them to rebel and seize autonomy from God. To self-actualize, to self-identify apart from God. To secularize their lives and live apart from God. Two, secondly, to redefine good and evil based on the voice in their heads. And he adds in his notes, actually personified as the snake, who was later identified as the devil, and the disordered desires of their own hearts. So it's interesting the way he puts that, and I, 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 I agree, but it's interesting that the picture is, now listen, they were without sin at that point. They were living in the garden where everything was perfect. They had communion every day in the cool of the day, probably around 3, 3.30, with God, who would come and walk with them in the garden. And yet, Satan knew something about them. And what he knew was, is they're human. They're not God. He's a being. He's not God. And so he knew then that good desires could be tempted to be disordered. So what we have seen flow out of that event at that time is that the world is what happens when Adam and Eve's sin goes viral and spreads through a whole society. And again, look at the scripture. Look at from, from Genesis 3 on, what, what, it just spreads. Like they have children who kill each other. It, it, it just doesn't stop. And so we, we, we can't look back on Adam and Eve and, like, you know, the world, those, those people, they, they did it. If I was there, I wouldn't do that. Hello, hold on. Well, I know if I was there, I would have done the same thing. So we need to be honest about that. So the result, the distorted becomes normative, right? It becomes normative. And, and again, as I've been saying in the series, I look around with some of my background in particularly philosophy and, and in business, I, I look at it, I go like, man, it, it's so predictable. I think I use the illustration of you know, uh, Satan being someone who likes dominoes. And all, all he needs to do is tip the first one, but he's built the board. And he tips the first one and things just start going according to his plan in this world. And we're oblivious to the fact that he's behind many of these things. Sin is then recast as any number of things, right? It's freedom. Like, biblical freedom is not the same as freedom declared in our world, right? It's things like human rights. It's things like reproductive justice. Now, there's an oxymoron for you. It's things like, well, that's the way things are, or boys will be boys, you know, we can describe those things in any way we want, except as that three-letter word, what? Sin. They become normative. And that's quite sad. So we also heard last week, Jesus' own words about the world. And so this is really important, because some of us, I know, I know, we, we talked about the mission, mission community group a little bit. You know, it's so like, oh, come on, Glenn, you're, make, you're making like the world, like the trails in Squamish and everything. You're making it sound real, like it, it's really horrible. And I'm like, okay, just hang on a second. It's God's creation. There's a lot of beauty here. There's, a lot, there's the Imago Dei. And every, yes, I get that. But Jesus' own words 
uh, I want to repeat to you. I'm actually going to back up one verse from John 17 that I didn't quote last week, but it's important for today, where he said this. He's in his high priestly prayer to the Father, and I want you to, this, this is something I didn't say last week, so it's important to hear this. This is a prophetic future prayer. This prayer is not necessarily for the disciples and apostles at that time. He hasn't died and risen yet. They're not exactly going out and proclaiming the gospel yet. 72 have gone out and done a little bit of that, but this is a prophetic future prayer. And he says this to the Father. Praise this. Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He's he's thinking about you and I. Do you feel hated? Very often? I mean, really, like you just actually get in contact with people and you feel like they hate me. Someone asked me many, many years ago in, in community group, should we actually be looking for people to hate us? Like, we should be expecting that? And it was, it was one of those moments where I, I kind of like, well, I, how do I answer this? <laughs> and the answer was, well, yes, and if we're not ever experiencing that, then I'm pretty sure we're not proclaiming the gospel. We're not challenging the lies and the deceptions in loving ways. He goes on, and this is what we, we looked at last week. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, meaning that Jesus is looking forward to this, and he's thinking, Lord, it's going to get so bad. It's, Father, it's going to be not that great. You're, you're maybe even going to think that it would be best to take your very elect out of the world. Jesus is saying, Father, don't do that. But that you keep them from the evil one. So he knows this battle is going to be there. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is your truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have will and am going to continually send them into the world. So the world's not so great, right? It's, it's got lots of problems. And yet, we're being sent into it, but not to be of it. So that's the challenge, isn't it? A few uh, chapters earlier in John, he is speaking directly to his disciples. And again, it's somewhat prophetic, but he says these words. If the world hates you, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, look at these words. But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We get the name for our church from Matthew 16, 18 where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, based on your testimony of faith in me, upon that rock, this rock, I will build my ecclesia, the Greek word for church, which literally means called out ones. So so Christ has called us out of that cancerous rot, Eugene Peterson again, so that he could send us back filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a good plan. Are we up for it? That's the question for today. So that leaves you and I today with the task of answering the one question that we were talking about a little bit in community group this week. Well, quite a bit, actually. It was great. And I kept saying to people, you're, 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 you're spoiling my sermon for Sunday. Like it was, it was, it was great. And, and that question would be, would be something along these lines. Okay, we're to be in the world, but not of it. Yeah, heard that before. Got the t-shirt. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Okay, we're to be in the world, but not of it, not being influenced by it. Rather be an influence in the world. The question is, how really do we do that? That's the question. So to answer that question, I hope a little bit today, let's return to the story of the people of Israel. 
in Jeremiah 28 and 29 that we began to look at last week. You'll recall that uh, the people of Israel were taken into exile by good old King Nebi, Nebuchadnezzarite, in 587 BC. They were taken into Babylon, into exile. Uh, he sacked Jerusalem, uh, and he took all of the people of Israel that he, that he captured, which was a very large percentage of them, including, of course, Daniel and his buddies, right? And he took them into captivity, and, and they were to be indoctrinated into the pagan culture, secular culture. The people, of course, in that day, we learned last week, responded in one of two ways. The first response was, no, <laughs> we're going to battle you. We're, we're, we're not going to let you just take us over. We're going we're gonna to fight. You know, we're the people of Israel. We're going to like put, take up arms and swords and God's going to be with us because he was with Moses and others. Okay. But he's going to be, and they, they did. But then we also learned this. No, actually the vast majority after being there a little bit, were like, this is not bad. This is this, this, they got really good movie theaters. It's like, they got art galleries. It's, it's, it's not a terrible place. So what did they do? They assimilated. They blended in. They, they, they kept their religion private and quiet in their own homes, if at all. And as I said to you last week, by the time, and we'll see this today, it's actually a long time, that God brings them back to Jerusalem, many didn't want to come back. They had fully and completely assimilated into the culture to give up the battle, embrace the new kings, and to actually bow down and worship their pagan gods. So we also learned, sadly, last week, that we essentially, many Christians... None of you, of course, you're above the bar, can do that from time to time, right? And we looked at it a lot last week, so I won't poke you in the eye anymore, but uh, we do. We, we assimilate. We just, we just, part of it is, is that, you know, we, we, we're actually FOPs. Remember that last week? Fear of persecution and, and suffering, my own little acronym. And, and, it, and so what do we do? Well, we, we, we laugh at what people in the world laugh at. Yeah, I saw that Netflix, that, and that HBO. I, that was cool. That was great. Yeah. We, we even maybe pick up some of the language, which isn't always that great, right? And, and, and so we, we end up being like, as we looked at last week, either chameleons who change our color, or we do that. Why? So that we can be like them and assimilate, or maybe not be noticed as these crazy wingnut Christians who actually believe what the Bible teaches. Um, I, someone mentioned uh, this week, and I did listen to it, uh, a sermon uh, by Timothy Keller, my, my favorite preacher, pastor, uh, who I often quote, but it, it was about Daniel and, and what was going on in Daniel's day, and he was in captivity in Babylon, and, and he used the words that assimilate, so chameleon, right, or separate, and we, I called that last week warthogs, where we you know, put out the horns and put the kids inside, and so we separate from the culture. We hunker down, listen, homeschooling's awesome. But in some cases, people do that because, well, there's the big bad world out there, you know? And so we either assimilate or we fully separate, which again is pretty hard to do if you're actually going to listen to Jesus and follow his command to go and make disciples. Amen? <laughs> so so what, what's going on here? I know some of you are still a little puzzled, but I'll hopefully try to bring that out for you. So like I said last week, there, there is, was another way in the story of the people of Israel in Babylon. There was either, listen, we can fight, we, we can separate, or we can assimilate, but there was another way, and that's how we're going to conclude our series today. The prophet Jeremiah records much of the events of the exile in Babylon and some important details in chapter 29, which we're going to read. So turn there, and we'll read our primary text in a second. 
But I want to start with actually our, the last verse in the text that I want to teach you through today so that we, we can see the answer to that question. What do we do? How do we do it? And it's the very famous verse. It's the verse 2911. Let me read it for you with great compassion, right? Because I, I like to call these kind of verses bumper sticker verses, right? They put them on the wall and go, that's a verse that gives me such great comfort. For I know the plans I have for you. I'm going to use the King James, saith the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. I can't tell you how many times in the past I've heard that just pulled out to give me a really positive, warm, fuzzy feeling as I was leaving on a Sunday to realize, yeah, it's really hard out there, but God loves you. And you know what? This week is going to be better if you just realize that he has a plan for you and that plan is going to come to fruition this week. Just pray. It never did. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. So as I said, it, gives us, it can give us a, a, a really warm fuzzy, but obviously the most important thing to see here is context, right? Context is always important in Scripture. It is a promise, actually. This is a promise. But again, it's not a promise that's necessarily going to get fulfilled tomorrow. God's promises sometimes take a long time to be fulfilled. Genesis 3.16, just reread that one. It took a few thousand years for Jesus to come. He made a promise and he keeps his promises. So part of the context of this story is actually back in chapter 28 where Jeremiah tells us about the false prophet whose name is Hananiah. And here's the thing. He told the people of Israel, he prophesied to the people of Israel. Now this is a guy who probably had assimilated a little too much because he basically learned a lot of his ideas from the diviners and magicians in Babylon like Daniel did. And he prophesied that God told him that in two years, yeah, this is going to all fall down and God's going to destroy these guys and we're going to be free. He was a false prophet. But that's why some of them thought, well, let's take up arms. Let's fight against this. So they believed it. On the other hand, Jeremiah knew, probably because of the Spirit of God, that he was a false prophet. So Jeremiah prayed. And Jeremiah got this prophecy from the Lord, beginning in verse 4 of 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that you may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. This shouldn't be actually on screen yet. I'm going to get to the verse by verse in case we we are (laughs) in a minute. Sorry, I should have let uh, our keynote person know that. Do and Listen, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says, look at this, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. He's confirming Jeremiah's conclusion that they're false prophets. Do not let your prophets, your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, 70 years, kids, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And then comes verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future 
and a hope. So I want to suggest to you that this passage here is one of the best templates in the Bible on how to live as Christians on mission with Jesus in this world. I believe sincerely that this was the template that Daniel followed. And, and even Joseph before that, I mean, it, living in pagan cultures and yet being true to God and his word, it's incredible. Uh, Tim Keller showed just that, actually, in that message. He, he talks about Daniel, a, a young, well-educated Jewish boy, is taken into the king, you guys know the story, the kin, king's, easy for me to say, inner sanctum to be indoctrinated in the ways of Babylonian culture, like fully indoctrinated learn their language, study their philosophies and religion, master their pagan magical arts, basically go to University of British Columbia and study critical race theory. Anybody? How did Daniel do? He did really well. He did extremely well. He, he actually learned all these things. He didn't shy away from them. He didn't think like, well, oh, this is terrible. These people are awful. Was he, what was he? Was he being an apologist? Maybe, but Daniel knew he was sent there to this people in this place for a purpose. How could Daniel do that? Well, the answer is pretty simple. He knew the truth of who God is. His foundation of his faith was solid. That's how he could do that. He was on mission. He knew it. He's a young boy. Man, I wish I had at his maturity, at his age. So for the rest of us, I want to suggest to you this passage in Jeremiah 29 is the template as it was for Daniel, I believe. So let's have a look at that in detail, and I hope you'll see five ways to be influential in the world. The first is recognize that you are being sent. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So I kind of emphasize that, so it's rhetorical for me to ask, did you see it? I mean, the story goes that Nebuchadnezzar took them into exile, right? The Lord God of hosts is saying, hold on, just so you know, it was me. I sent you into this exile. So question for you today. Do you feel like you're in exile in Squamish? <laughs> I mean, most people come to Squamish at first. It's like, oh, it's the mountains. There's climbing. There's like trails. There's mountain biking. It's awesome. And then after a little while, when you check out the affordability of housing, you're like, oh, this is exile. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But by the same token, you don't have to just feel that way. It, just being in the world today, right? The, the division and the pandemic division, and of course, war. You can feel like, as Christians anyway, we're in exile. Well, the truth is, you are if you are in Christ, but the Lord wants you to know, Christian, he put you here. Or he should have. And you should have known that. I, I can't, uh, I, I'm really grateful that over the years I've had many young men and women, and older uh, come and say, yeah, we're, we're thinking, uh, you know, we, we know that you've preached a certain sermon about staying in Squamish, and which, which I'm going to get to. Um, but, you know, we just, uh, you know, like there's this and that, whatever. And so I, all I ever say to these young men and women is, listen, I get it. 
I, I really get it. But listen, just, just pray that it's not just for affordability or for a warmer climate or whatever it might be. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send you to the place that he wants you to be, to the people that he wants you to be with. Be sent. Be sent. And if you're here and you're wondering what you're doing here, maybe remember or think about the fact that you've been sent. Squamish is not easy, guys. No place is. No place is. There's always greener pastures, but, well, maybe Oliver will be. I don't know. Had to get that in there, okay. So, so can imagine how the people of Israel took this, right? Imagine they get this message and they go, hold on a second. You're supposed to love us. It's one thing for us to believe you allowed this to happen. Sovereignty of God. You, you made this happen? Why would you do this to us? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would God do this? Well, listen, I'll tell, I think I know why. Because the people of Israel were not kind to foreigners, to strangers who came into their land, were they? No. In fact, they were like, yeah, listen, we're not really happy that you've applied for citizenship here. You know, we, we don't really want you, a foreigner, uh, to be bringing your pagan religions, your, you know, like your spicy foods or whatever it might be or whatever, your ways of living, your pagan gods into our pristine, clean culture. I mean, if you were to modernize that for today's language, it'd be like, yeah, build a wall. Okay, I'm getting too political for you. Right? I remember years ago, I don't know where it was I was at, but people were in, in the church that we were in, they were kind of complaining about immigration. And it was getting me really upset. It was like, <clears throat> you know, on one hand, they were like, yeah, we should fund missionaries to send them over there, right? And, 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 but they were really, it was like, yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was, I'm sorry to say this, but it was racially motivated and not in a good way. And I remember just somehow blurting it out of my mind. It's like, I don't know where it came from because I'm not usually the sharpest tool in the shed, but it just came out of my mouth. I go, hey, why don't we look at it this way? The Lord is sending the nations to us. We don't have to go over there. They're coming here. Oh, yeah, I don't know if we like that. That's what was going on with the people of Israel. So that's number one. Recognize that you are being sent or that's what you would want. You should ask the Lord, where do you want me to be? What is the people place you want me to be on mission with you, Christ? Secondly, move in or settle in. Verse 5, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Exactly what uh, Heather said earlier, my dear wife is into permaculture gardening. She's, it's, in the middle of that word is the word cult. I just want to put that there. <laughs> just thought I'd say that. She's upstairs. She didn't hear me. Don't repeat it, please. I will not get fed this week. No, come on. And, and uh, it is, it's awesome. But I mean, yeah, so she loves that verse. So now the, Lord, now the Lord is saying to them, listen, what he's saying is, be in community with these people. Build a house or try to find one you can afford at least, but, but move in to the neighborhood. And the word became flesh and did what? Again, Eugene Peterson in his message translation moved into the neighborhood. Be happy to move into a secular neighborhood and be a blessing to that community. 
And so you see, it's, it's, it's build houses, live in them among your neighbors. And then he says, plant gardens, eat the produce. And so it's beautiful. Actually, I would suggest he's speaking about these things. He's sort of saying, listen, model for the people in that culture, in that community, healthy living, healthy family life, and also generosity, because he's going to get in the multiply, right? So your gardens, and we get chickens too, okay? Just so you know. You know, like we have too many eggs. We can't eat them all. I try, but we can't. So what do we do? Well, we give them away. We give them to people. And that's part of what God is getting at here. Thirdly, multiply in that place. Verse 6 says, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Now look, I, I think it's probably natural for people to say, okay, well, <laughs> oh, there's that, that pressure again. Have babies, right? Like that's, that's the main point of this. Well, yes, but, but no, I, I think it's more than that. The, 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 any Jewish person who's reading this would be looking at this and, and, and saying when, it, when, you, when they read giving your daughters in marriage that it, it referred to exclusively within the faith. Right? And so, so there had to be circumstances where some of these people of Israel were like, yeah, we're trying to find a spouse for our, our, our son or for our daughter, and you know what? That Jewish boy around the corner, yeah, he's just... <laughs> No, not that one, right? And, and so what is, what is being suggested here? Multiply what? Just your children? Just your babies? How about the faith? That's making babies too, you know. It's called making disciples. And so that, that's part of it. If you're going to be there for a while and you're, going to, and you're going to move into the neighborhood, the idea here is expand the family of God. Amen? It's about the expansion of the family of God. In the end... The words do not decrease, by the way, are in the imperative. Don't, 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 for fear of the world, not bring children into this world. Don't, for fear of the world, not go and proclaim Christ and, and, and welcome people into the family of God. Do not decrease. Fourth, be missionaries. Verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you in exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find yours. You will find your, your welfare. It's a beautiful picture here. First, we seek the welfare of the city. The word, of course, in the Hebrew is, many of you know this beautiful word. It's an amazing word. In some translations, I, I don't know if this is, um, especially in our culture today, a great word to use. I like welfare, but another word that's used is prosperity. Seek the prosperity of the culture. And in it, you will find your prosperity. That kind of, people love to take that one into the prosperity gospel, right? Wrong. No, no the word in the, Greek, in the Hebrew, pardon me, is, anybody? It's shalom. What does that word mean? It means peace. Seek the peace of that community. How do we do that? Well, we go into the culture, into the community, and we speak life into the community. We proclaim the gospel, but we speak life, not death. That's what I got into a little bit with you last week, so I won't go too much farther than that. And so that's the idea. That's our mission, too. As I read in context, and I won't go back into it, but verses 8 and 9 is when God distinctly makes the point that, yeah, listen to Jeremiah, because that previous prophet, yeah, he wasn't from me. But then he goes on to our fifth and last point, and you're going to love this one, right? Okay, so you remember them, right? The first point was, 
to be sent. The second is to move in. The third is to multiply. And then the fourth is missionaries. And the fifth, die there. Yeah, okay, let me read that for you. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Imagine when they first heard that. Hold on. You want us to spend our whole life here? Yeah. That's what the Lord was saying to them. I remember early on, and that's why I had to laugh earlier with with Wade and Heather, because they probably remember this series. It was so well-loved in this church. Not not so much. Um, I I called it the seven ways to love Squamish. And the first six ways, everybody's like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to go and do that. Like, you know, like get involved in, you know, the local government, find out what the needs are of the community and so that we can go bless them and love them. And And then I got to number one and, and they all looked at me and went, well, okay, what's number one? Die here. And I spoke about this. So yeah, when I preached that, at first it wasn't, wasn't well received, right? Because it's paradoxical. It's completely a paradigm shift to the way most of us think. Most, I've thought this way most of my business life, which was like, well, you know, I'm going to move to wherever my, my career will advance. I'm going to move where, you know, I can afford a home. I'm going to move to where it's, there's a beach at least within 15 minutes. I, whatever, I, I, where I can put a boat in the water or I can ski, or whatever. I'm going to move for those reasons to various places. And so here's the dilemma. The only point that I want to make out of this is that, look, this is the mission, that that we're we're to be here and be on mission. And here's the thing. Sadly, my experience shows me this in my own life and in some of the lives of those that I've been in church with. And that is is that we, we just don't stick around long enough to really make a difference. We make a few friends in the neighborhood, and, and then when Christmas comes, rather than invite them to come to our Christmas services, the only time of year they might come, we go away. But then we start to make relationships with people, and we start sharing Christ with them and sharing life with them, and things get a little bit thick, and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, you know, we're going you know, to move because yeah, we, we just have to for these reasons. Listen, I, I get it. Listen, sometimes we need to move. And sometimes we are called to move. Amen, guys? I, I mean, I really do believe that. But the other is to, to recognize that we need to be in a people, with a people in a place long enough to make a difference in their lives, which is like walking with them for a while. I think that's the point that the Lord is making to us here. And so, let me uh, move to a conclusion for you in a moment just to say this. Realistically then, a few hundred Christians just popping into town for a few years here and there will not likely make a long-term influence, will it? It's going to take some time. We are to be missionaries in the land that the Lord has sent us to, and he's given us, the beautiful thing is, and I want to give you this before we come to a conclusion, is he's given us a ministry, every one of you. I'm not the only one in full-time ministry. You're all in full-time ministry. And he's given us the message to take to these people, to this world. Paul tells us what it is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20 where he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're a Christian, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old flesh, sinful nature, we're putting it to death, right? Living according to the Spirit. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God did all the work sent Christ into this world to die on the cross in our place and for our sins to do the work of reconciling you and I to him. 
So after we've rebelled and we've lived a rebellious life, we are now reconciled to God, brought into his family, and we're good with him forever. We've been reconciled. And, and, and so what is Paul saying? Well, and, and by the way, that's your ministry now. It's being passed on to you. He goes on. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. What is that message? You're far from God. You don't even know it. You're far from God. Let me show you who he is and what he's done for you. You know, at the end of the day, what, what he wants more than anything is that you would be reconciled to him, that you would be in a relationship with him. You would trust him, that you would receive his only begotten son, that you would believe in him and be born again. Sounding like Billy Graham here. It's, it's a good message. Why? Because it's the truth. Therefore, I love this, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Oh, talk about responsibility that I mentioned earlier, right? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So as we conclude today and the series, I want, you to ask, I want to ask you to think about this concept that I'm going to give to you. And, and I believe it will be most helpful to you, I hope it will be, uh, when you desire to be an influence for the good and the peace of our community. So we've heard a lot about words like exiles, like those in Babylon and the New Testament writers often refer to us also as sojourners, as strangers, even aliens, and these are all true. Well, well there's an, another, I think, more positive way that I, I actually, I've never preached it before, so I'm glad to be doing it this morning, or actually heard it really enunciated before. And that, that positive, more helpful way to see ourselves is citizens. We're Citizens in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Paul said it well in Ephesians 2, verses 19 and 20. So then you are, listen, no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So I, I think about it. I was thinking about it this week. Most of you in this room, I don't know for sure, but I think most of us, and I, yes, I know we have some uh, visitors from south of the border here today, but wherever you were born, you, you're just like natural citizens of that country, right? You're born there, therefore you're naturally born citizens of that country. But then we have members of our church family who I see here this morning and others who, like, they immigrate to this country, right? And, and after they're, well, first of all, they felt called to come here or we want to go to Canada because it's where people say sorry all the time, you know, and, and they're really nice, you know, like lovely people. They've got Medicare and all. Well, yeah, but when they come, there's, I've noticed this thing about many people who immigrate to Canada. Um, they really want to be citizens here. Like they go through a lot of hoops, amen, uh, for permanent residency and then, and then for citizenship. And, and you and I, like I was born here in Canada, so I never had to do this. I never had to go and swear an oath of allegiance. Have any of you had to do that? Somebody, I think maybe you had to redo it, right? Like, you have, to, you have to do that. And many of us have never had the opportunity to do that. And I'll tell you what, these people, when I talk to them about being a citizen of Canada, there's, there's a pride that they have about Canada that supersedes mine. I'm just proud to be a Canuck fan, which is hard these days. You know what I'm saying? They, um, they recite this oath and pledge, and I want to read it for you to become a citizen of Canada. 
From this day forward, I pledge my loyalty and allegiance to Canada and Her Majesty Elizabeth II, Queen of Canada. I promise to respect our country's rights and freedoms, to uphold our democratic values, to faithfully observe our laws and fulfill my duties and obligations as a Canadian citizen. That's a wonderful, wonderful pledge. Christian, I want to encourage you, we have these pledges too. Some would say, well, yeah, sure, we, we have them in the creeds, right? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. Mm, yes, but I also believe we have them in the sacraments of the church. We, we have them in baptism. When, when, when you're being baptized, when, when I baptize someone, or a pastor usually baptizes someone, or an elder, a deacon, whatever, a minister, uh, whatever, someone, it's usually asking them the question, based on your profession of faith, from this day forward, do you desire to follow Jesus Christ with your whole heart and on behalf of the expansion and glory of his kingdom? The answer is yes, <laughs> and then you get baptized. That, that's a pledge of allegiance in the church. Most, uh, I would suggest, biblical churches encourage membership, where we covenant together to what? To be faithful to one another, to God and to each other in community. It's a pledge. We do that every time we dedicate children. We stand here as a church and we covenant together to help that couple who is going to need our help to, as a family, care for their children. It's a pledge. These are our pledges as citizens of the church. I also want to suggest to you it's a pledge of allegiance when you show up here on Sundays to one another and to a missional community group. There's another word that I think is not terribly appreciated today, and it's because, like some words, that are not lived out in the appropriate way. And it's the word patriot and patriotism. And I want to leave this word with you this morning. The proper definition, (coughs) excuse me, sorry, of patriotism is defined this way. The feeling of love, devotion, and sense of attachment to one's country. My encouragement for us is that we might feel this kind of patriotic love and devotion and sense of attachment to the kingdom of God of which we are citizens. And we didn't do anything to deserve that passport. That's an eternal passport. That gets you into something that, yeah, you you can't deserve on your own works. So friends, as we conclude this series, I encourage you to think on these things every day. If we are to see ourselves as patriotic citizens of the kingdom of God, I do believe it will ground us in ways that will help us keep uh, ourselves from the deceptions of this world being instead of being influenced by this world, but instead being the ambassadors of the ministry and message of reconciliation that Jesus has given to us. It's a huge responsibility. I think in his power and strength, we might be up for it. Pray with me, would you?